0: and oh my gosh, like this exercise is going to train my shoulders and it's gonna make me better at my sport by you rigging me up to seven bands pulling from different directions and um, it's involving a twist and all that. I'm like, this is great. You must really know what you're doing. Welcome back to Training Room Talk powered by Precision Performance Physical Therapy. Here we talk about pain, rehab, performance, and education. If you have questions about the nuance that we dive into, please reach out to us. We would love to talk to you about it. Apart from that, we hope you guys enjoy today's episode, and we hope everyone stays safe and is staying healthy. All right, guys, welcome back to today's episode of the podcast, Training Room Talk. We are joined by Dr. Troy Cook. How's it going, guys? And future Dr. Tyler Boyd.
1: What's going on, guys?
0: And uh, we're going to talk a little bit about Sport specificity. So we've had this conversation. We had we talked about this in the clinic the other day. Uh, it's something that you know is an ongoing kind of discussion in the sports rehab or just strength conditioning world. People talk about it all the time. How specifically do you need to train for your sport? Obviously, you know there's a trend, and probably rightfully so, for baseball players to train in ways that look similar to baseball football players to train in ways that look similar to football Um, and so on and so forth with pretty much every sport out there Um, because the goal a lot of times is to try to ideally optimize the transfer that you get from the training you do in the gym to the sport that you're doing on the field or in competition or or whatever the case may be so uh, oftentimes what, what brought this conversation up for us is that oftentimes you can kind of over-apply what, what would be, in my view, an over-application of the concept of sports specificity where your gym training almost starts to become less effective just because you're becoming overly specific or trying to make things look so similar to the sport when in reality it's just not going to be the sport when you're in the gym training and the reality is you could probably spend your time doing things that are more valuable in the gym and then just go do your sport to get better at your sport um but it's a fine line in terms of where that you know where you cross over into being unnecessarily
2: overcomplicated um what are you guys' thoughts on the sport specificity concept Yeah, I would say there's definitely a huge trend right now getting very specific to the point of over specific. There's this one thing that's coming to mind. And I think social media plays a big role in this, too, just because these very specific, they're unique exercises and they they look cool. Right. (laughs) And there's this one I'm picturing. It's somebody standing like on one leg on a BOSU ball while somebody's pushing him around and he's catching this. Jack-looking thing that they're throwing at him, yelling out a color and grabbing onto that to help train stability and catching hand-eye coordination for, I guess, a football player or something like that. But at that point, it's almost so specific that it's not mirroring the sport at all, right? Right. You're like, you're doing the opposite thing. You think you're getting
0: more specific, but in reality it's actually becoming so unlike the thing that you're actually doing in sport even though the movement may look similar in terms of oh you're still catching just the context of the the constraints that you're putting on it in terms of standing on an unstable like you're never playing on an unstable surface ever you always are playing football baseball on flat ground on grass So if you're changing the surface that someone's standing on, you're becoming less specific Mm -hmm. by definition of, by nature of the word. Um, And, yeah, you just see some such ridiculous stuff out there. Yeah, I think where, like, we kind of get lost
1: sometimes is we don't realize that the weight room there's like a means to an end in the weight room right there's a point where like we're talking about here where maybe we're starting to get diminished returns like you're saying with the BOSU ball and all that stability kind of training like what is the goal of the weight room right the goal of the weight room is to help us right get stronger and become more of like a robust athlete and prepare us for that sport but in reality the only way to probably get better at that actual sport is to perform that sport and do this skills training and all that stuff. And that's kind of what we were talking about when you mentioned um, how we were having this conversation in the clinic the other day.
2: Yeah. Uh, Like you were saying, the goal of resistance training usually is to produce force, especially when we're talking about the legs, produce force into the ground so that it transfers over onto the court, the field, whatever you're playing on. So that you can produce force into the ground there to run farther or to run faster, to change direction faster, to jump higher. So when you do try to get more specific, you're switching up to more unilateral things, standing on one leg. You're doing squats on a Bosu ball. Anytime we we're changing up the surface, you're losing that force production in the ground, which is your mm-hmm. ultimate goal with resistance training a lot mm-hmm. of times.
0: Yeah, and there's a there's kind of like a. There's a place for unilateral training, obviously, Mm -hmm. right? Most athletes are unilateral in nature, given the demands of their sport. And for whatever reason, you may be interested in reducing some of the disparity from left to right. And so you want Mm -hmm. to train unilaterally to bring up the strength, the endurance from one side to the other for a specific kind of outcome that you're looking for. But like you said, Tyler, and this is something we talked about a lot, is you're in the gym training to develop the raw ingredients that you need for your sport. Strength, power, endurance. You're not training those things and those movements in order to directly improve your skill at the sport. And the reality is most sports... Your performance in that sport is just a combination of having the most raw ingredients and the most skill. At the end of the day, if we could make everyone exactly the same in terms of their strength, their endurance, every physical attribute identically, then the person who would perform the best on a football field or on a baseball field is the person with the most skill. Definitely. For sure. Uh, that's the that's the only other factor there, and maybe you could you could say the psychology of it or whatever. But um, from a physical standpoint, it's the raw ingredients: strength, power, endurance, and skill.
1: I believe. I mean, Max, there's also been like with COVID and everything. There's been this big trend um, of people kind of staying away from the weight room now because uh, they a lot of people haven't really had access to the weight room with covid and they've done a lot of like field training um and just skills training and stuff like that. I don't know if you guys have seen that but I've kind of seen that a lot like on Instagram especially with some of the people that I follow is it's been like okay with covid now is the time to maybe take a step back from the weight room and really kind of focus on some specific skills on the field. And, and I'm specifically kind of talking about field sports. I know we can get into like CrossFit and powerlifting and Olympic lifting and all that stuff. But for field sports, I've kind of seen this trend um, with COVID. I don't know if you
0: guys want to speak on that. Yeah. I mean, this is this is partly why periodization exists, right? Is because yeah there should be some seasons to your training in terms of hey I'm off season I can I don't need to perform on a weekly basis I my volume in terms of my skill work or my sport training is fairly low I can ramp up my strength conditioning stuff induce more fatigue be in a state of lower acute performance and I can afford to do that now I'm in season I can't afford to be sore in my legs because I need to perform on Saturday. And so I reduce the strength conditioning and I do more skill-based training because I need to refine the skills. COVID is just a, a way to force people to periodize their training in a certain Basically. way. They're, you're just confining them to, hey, you don't have access to this stuff. Now you're gonna enter a phase of your training where we focus on skill-based stuff. Yeah. And yeah, that's, that's a valuable thing to do But every athlete's going to be different in terms of where their weaknesses lie. You know, if I have a a high school kid coming to me who wants to, you know, he's going to college next year, he's a pretty good quarterback, um, but he weighs 160 pounds and he's 6'2", 6'3", for him, the weak link coming up in the next year is probably going to be some of just his raw size, raw strength, raw power um, and he's not going to be able to get away with those raw ingredients in a year when he goes to college Uh, and maybe his skill is is actually really really mature given his age and he probably wouldn't benefit from just going out on the field and focusing so much on skill training. So everyone's going to be different when you look at the raw ingredients, strength, power, endurance, you look at the skill. What's the individual's weakness, and how are we going to organize our training to spend maybe more time on the weakest link or the limiting factor for you? And I don't want to – if strength and power are the goal, I don't want to bring you into the gym with sports specificity in mind and then take your squat, which was going to work on strength, and mess it up by throwing you on a BOSU ball – or having you squat everything unilateral or everything a split squat yeah. because I want you, oh, well, football, you're you're pushing off one leg. Sure. But is the goal of the exercise to develop more f- like leg drive in your actual drop back? Or is it to develop just the ability to produce force in your lower extremities? Yeah. And if the latter is the goal, then we should keep the goal of the goal mm-hmm. and just train that. And then worry about how that transfers to your sport when we're on the field and training that specifically. Yeah, and that's definitely
1: something that I wanted to get into because I know you got really fired up the other day in the clinic when we brought this up. When I was asking you the question about we're talking about sports specificity. And I was like, Max, well, what do you think about some people who say like, hey, like if we want to be really specific, maybe we shouldn't do any like bilateral symmetrical exercise like a trap bar deadlift or just like a regular front squat back squat whatever all our exercises should be like a split squat or a single leg rdl or even like an rdl with a kickstand something like that because now with sports majority of the time we're gonna we're spend the majority of the time on one leg right we're never on two legs at the same time really and that's something you kind of really got fired up about but you're right like it's what is the goal right if you have a 13 14 15 year old kid who just really kind of needs to get stronger right and he he just needs to gain weight put on muscle yeah like maybe let's teach this kid how to move it doesn't really matter if it's a unilateral or bilateral symmetrical exercise like the goal is the goal but um yeah and that's why but i also think like for the more like advanced athlete right we have these kind of specific phases where a guy comes in his off season right there's more of the gpp phase and then obviously we get more closer to that sports specific phase where now we're maybe training in more like uh ranges of motion of like specific joint ranges of motion that they're going to perform their sport so for the advanced athlete i do think maybe we should be a little more specific right for maybe some of these professional guys um but for for kids 14 15 year old kids that need to just put weight on um and muscle i think like yeah let them just kind of rip a trap bar deadlift
0: or squat but so two things first the premise of the question you know well don't we want like if we're trying to be more specific in the gym, then and I'm like, stop. Nope, yeah. we're not trying to be more specific in the gym. That's that's the premise of the question is, well, if the goal is to transfer, to train in a way that's specific to the task, but it's not the goal. The goal is developing the raw ingredients that yeah. you can then transfer to the task. And there's more to sports specificity than just than just the exercises you select. Because if you say max... As we approach the preseason, and we're going to start, you know, playing on a weekly basis. Let's just take football for example. You get, you know, an, uh, an NFL player who's going into preseason, and leading into that, they're trying to start to train more specifically. You don't have to change any of the exercises or any of the things that they do in order to increase specificity, because if they're training, if you look at a pie chart of their training. And 40% of their time is dedicated towards strength conditioning, 40% is dedicated towards skill work, and 20% is dedicated towards, you know, health and maintenance, we'll just say like whatever else, you know, the body work that they're doing and, uh, you know, the soft tissue stuff and just the recovery, active recovery, whatever. If you want to be more specific in their training, you don't have to change the strength conditioning and modify the exercises to make them single leg, you can just change that from being 40% of their pie chart to 30%, Mm -hmm. and their skill from being 40% of their pie chart to 50%, and just do less of the strength conditioning Mm -hmm. and do more of the skill work. But don't change the strength and conditioning into half ass skill work Mm -hmm. in replacement of what could otherwise just be very productive skill work you know like if if you take a an olympic weightlifter and, and i think weightlifting powerlifting is an easy example because the training is the sport but if you take an a, an olympic weightlifter who's doing snatch and clean and jerk and you are in a phase of their training where they're you know leading into a meet so they're doing a lot of you know their their volume was high they've accumulated a lot of fatigue their volume's tapering down and now their intensity's going up you know, they're hitting their openers, they're getting really heavy and they're not doing a ton of volume, but you want them to rehearse the skill. You're just going to have them take an empty bar and do a lot of reps with an empty bar, a PVC pipe, going through certain drills, you know, very light clean pulls, high pulls, uh, snatch balance, like some of these just like lower level components, parts of the whole and with no weight. You're not necessarily going to radically alter the exercises that they're doing. You're just modifying the dosage of the heavy work versus the very clearly skill-based work. It should be the same thing in sport where you're just going to modify the dosage of the strength conditioning and do less of it. You're more in a maintenance phase and you're just going to increase the dosage of the true skill work that you're doing. Like a sprinter is not doing skill work in the gym. A sprinter is going to squat, they're going to probably split squat, they're going to deadlift, but none of that is improving their sprinting. When they're actually on the track or on the field going through pre-sprint drills, that's what's going to improve their sprinting. Certainly having stronger quads can help, but you don't have to train their quads in a way that looks like sprinting, because the reality is the actual demand of that exercise they're doing it slowly they're doing it with a lot of weight it's already so incredibly not specific to what they're doing just because it makes you feel good as the provider or the clinician or the coach to have the person look like they're sprinting doesn't mean that it increases the the transfer there
2: yeah and you need those things to improve your strength to improve the force into the ground to help with sprinting so bringing it back to the goals of the weight room I want to go back to your uh, pie chart example, especially when we're talking about high school kids, middle school kids, and even elementary school kids nowadays with how specific and specialized they get with their sport. They are getting specific on the field, on the court, whatever the sport may be year round, right? They're playing nonstop. They're playing crazy hours. They're playing for the school. They're playing for travel league. And they have extra, you know, hitting coach, batting coaches, whatever the sport is on top of that. So they are so specific outside of the weight room. Mm-hmm. And now for them to come into the weight room and you try to make it a very specific for every single exercise, now that pie chart is getting up near 80%, 90% specific to the sport. And we lose all those fundamental skills that you learn in the weight room and just building strength, building hypertrophy, helping with endurance, aerobic conditioning, all of those great principles and base foundational things that you should have, we're losing that.
0: Yeah, like if your goal is to build strength in a baseball player's shoulder, do you really have to have him in a ninety ninety position again for the thousandth time this week? Like can't you just build some strength in a position that is super a- easy for him to tolerate, doesn't put a lot of stress on the same exact structures that you've been repeatedly – Using in the past week or two, or month or year, it just doesn't make sense to incur that additional load in that position. And you like, "Yeah, well, then they're going to be able to tolerate load." I don't care. <laughs> the bo- <laughs> the bottom line is, a lot of the injuries that we're dealing with are overuse, and you could say they're under training, but they're not. Most because no, most, most of the time they're overuse, and part of that overuse is making their gym training or their strength and conditioning style training so specific that they're never moving in different ways outside of these repetitive patterns that they're already getting into in their sport. And it would probably be beneficial for them to just be able to go in and get stronger without the added cost to sure. their actual body from a, you know, a, a sport skill standpoint.
2: Switch the stresses around on some yeah, different tissues. True. Stress those tissues in different different movements, mm-hmm. different angles, different forces. Yeah, I agree. Yeah.
1: And, yeah, we know the importance of like movement variability when it comes to um, risk of injury, right? So it's like when someone comes to you, it's like, okay, what isn't this person getting on the field or what isn't this person getting on the court or whatever, or, um, with the CrossFit Olympic lifting, stuff like that. And how can we give them that? And how can we implement that in their training or their rehab, right? To help reduce the risk of injury. Um, yeah.
2: Yeah. Go ahead. We we're not saying you shouldn't think of sports specificity at all in the weight room either. You know, I think one important concept or principle to carry through is, you know, what planes is this athlete in in their sport? If it's a rotational sport like golf, uh, baseball, shot put, anything like that, you should probably be hitting some transverse plane strength, some transverse plane power. Same thing with frontal plane. Same thing with sagittal. So. You know, some of those underlying principles are important to carry over from the sport to the weight room, but we're getting away from those specific movements of the sport and just going back to our fundamental strength, hypertrophy, endurance, all that.
0: Yeah, so we're we're certainly not saying that you're just going to give every sport, every team, just a cookie cutter program where everyone's just going to squat, bench, deadlift, do some rows, do some overhead press. I would argue that you look across a ton of sports and. They end up all looking pretty similar because I don't know a ton of field sports that don't involve transverse plane. Like you're going to say the same thing about any football player. Oh, well, you hit people from different angles, and you're catching, you're rotating, you're jumping, you're spinning. Pretty much every sport needs some strength in almost every movement. Mm-hmm. It's going to be again the the degree to which you focus on transverse plane movements with a pitcher may be f- significantly higher than with a power lifter who's never really needing to withstand that specific force or produce force in that specific pattern. But yeah, it's broad, broad. You're, you're, you're painting with broad strokes here. What are the movements that the person is going to do? A sprinter is going to do a lot more pushing with their legs than hinging or pulling. So you're probably going to want to do things like leg pressing, squatting, Split squatting, lunging, those things involve knee extensors, hip extensors. That's mm-hmm. their sport. You know, it's not going to be a ton of deadlifting relative to those movements. You're still going to do it just to have a well rounded athlete, but proportionately less. Mm-hmm. If the sport is different, if it's fencing, well, maybe fencing, I don't need to do as much of a, of a deep squat. Maybe at that point it's, I don't even know what what it would be for fencing. Maybe at that point, really, there is no tremendously specific thing or, or very obvious pair of muscle groups that are significantly active in that movement. And it does become even more general, Mm -hmm. you know, for a baseball player, obviously their shoulder is involved. (laughs) You probably want to train their shoulders in an overhead position, in a non-overhead position, and pretty much in in a large variety that they're involved in in their sport. But you're looking at movements, muscles, planes, and then once you get beyond that, it's really hard to make the case that becoming more specific is going to be more beneficial than just keeping the goal the goal, developing the physical quality, and then transferring that to their sport with their actual sport training yeah I guess another
1: question I want to throw at you guys would be like where do you think like isolated movements come in like compared to I know this could probably be a whole podcast <laughs> in itself but because um, there's a lot of people out there that are just like oh if we're talking about athletes and we're talking about field sport athletes like they should they should never do like isolated movement training right they should never be ripping like a leg extension because there's no co-contraction going on with the hamstring Mm -hmm. something like that so i mean i don't know what your guys thoughts are
2: on that i'll start this one off um ultimately it comes down to your goals of the exercise right if your goal is just to improve (laughs) quad strength say an athlete comes in He has a real low hanging fruit for whatever reason, his quadriceps or his hamstrings are very weak link there. And you really just want to hammer some that muscle specifically, really want to hammer quads to help bring them back up to speed with the rest of the musculature around the legs, then uh, knee extension is going to be a fine exercise for that. However, I find a lot of times when we're talking about athletes coming into the weight room, they... You know, I've already gone through practice. They have a game tomorrow. They don't have a lot of time. They're only in here for 45 minutes, an hour. So maybe that's not your best bang for your buck exercise. Maybe they, you know, you're only able to get through uh, six, eight exercises in the whole day. So maybe you want to use a more multi segmental movement where you're hitting a lot of muscle groups, you're hitting a lot of joints in a lot of different angles. And it's just a more efficient way to get work done. But once again, it, it really depends on the goal of the exercise and what you're trying to accomplish for this athlete.
0: Yeah, I mean, we know from a rehab standpoint that single joint exercises are valuable. Yeah. For a post-ACL, trying to bring their quad up, we know that a knee extension is going to be an excellent way to ensure that you're truly isolating that muscle group. They're not substituting for their glute in a squat you're 100% sure force is being produced by the quad. You really can't have that level of certainty in any multi-joint exercise. You just you can't unless you have you know a, a kinematic analysis going on ensure that force is being produced by the area that you want it to be. So we know in rehab it's helpful from a, a sports standpoint. You have to be able to justify why that specific isolated physical quality is going to in some capacity downstream improve their readiness for sport or their sport performance by proxy of improving their physical condition so you know for the athlete who has really weak quads we have to be able to say he has really weak quads I don't feel confident that I can train his really weak quads in a motion that gives me more bang for my buck, like a squat or a split squat or a lunge. And improving his really weak quads is going to directly assist him in making him a better athlete. Like his quads are a relevant weak link to his sport performance. Obviously, in most instances, that's not the case right very few people have such an obvious impairment in their physical capacity that you're like hey i really need to address this in an isolated way because it cannot be addressed in any other way and addressing this is going to help them as an athlete that doesn't happen very often but when it does like why are we ignoring these tools on the principle that like we're better than them or that they, they, they can't be good just because they're generally not the best option. You know, it's like you don't need to write something off because in most instances you're not going to use it. That doesn't mean in no instance are you going to use it. I have, you know, and this is co- comes back to the rehab standpoint, which is where I think it's more relevant. But you have someone with a shoulder impingement, right, a subacromial pain syndrome, whatever you want to call it. And you think that the tissue that's irritated seems to be the long head of their bicep, right? Kind of coming up and, and somewhere it's getting overloaded or getting impinged or, or whatever. A bicep curl for that person to try to deliver some very specific stress to that, that structure, that tissue, may be an, a, a really good option, right? You might not be able to get that same effect with any other multi-joint movement, And why would we say, I'm not doing a bicep curl just because most of the time I wouldn't do this for someone. And therefore for this person, who I think could clearly benefit, I'm not gonna do it based on principle. That's ridiculous. Mm -hmm. Like, there's just that tendency though, in the social media world, the strength conditioning (laughs) world, to just live by rules and die by the rules. And it's like, why? just live and die by logic and foundational concepts like you don't have to take this this principle to the grave
2: and i think too with you know social media being a lot bigger thing now they're boring exercises right they're not sexy they're not cool it's you're talking about a knee extension somebody's sitting down and they're just kicking their leg out so you know athletes don't want to do them a lot of times coaches don't want to program it because it looks like you know a boring exercise and not a good programmed exercise so people stray away from it but there are a lot of benefits to the exercises when programmed appropriately for the right person
0: yeah i think that there's there's a lot of ego involved in terms of the coach or the clinician wanting to feel like they're offering something that's different that's unique that's higher value and the way that they do it is in Programming or prescribing exercises that the person's never seen before that look different, that they can ascribe a narrative to that is novel and unique. And, oh, my Mm -hmm. gosh, like this exercise is going to train my shoulders and it's going to make me better at my sport Mm -hmm. by you rigging me up to seven bands pulling from different directions. And um, it's involving a twist and all that. I'm like, this is great. You must really know what you're doing. And I think that coaches, there's an ego involved in prescribing or programming around squat, bench, deadlift, overhead press, pull-ups, knee extensions, leg press, and whatever other exercises you've seen in every strength conditioning facility. And the idea that if you give the same exercises to someone, they can't tell, the athlete can't tell that, you may be giving these exercises in the context of a really well-programmed, periodized program that relies on foundational principles of you know, periodization over time and developing sports specificity in the context of where they're at in their season or their off-season. The person can't see that when they go through their workout today, and you may worry that the person is going to perceive you as being elementary and missing out on certain opportunities for their improvement because the coach down the road is doing all this crazy stuff on Instagram. Mm. And you just need to put more stake in making sure that the athletes and the patients in front of you understand the bigger picture, that they see more than just today's workout, that they can see that you have a bigger plan In place for them and that they understand that your plan that you have for them is actually a plan that no one else had developed and no one else could develop they were just giving you random exercises without really any bigger picture and if you can reframe it that way the person will understand that what you're actually doing for them is way more skilled and is way more thoughtful and intellectual than the guy down the road doing all the fancy stuff then they'll look at that guy and be like look at those silly bastards, those silly geese doing those things that they have to do in order to, in order to make themselves look like they're, Mm -hmm. they're being fancy and and doing the right things. Yeah.
2: Yeah. And if, you know, you're programming these things, these more specific, you know, crazy exercises just for more buy-in from the athlete or technically a customer, use your test retest for the buy-in, you know, have good, Tests and measures to uh, measure their performance to their sport. Have them go through your good program, your good foundational program. Have them excel on the next retest, and there's your buy in. Yeah. Mm.
0: Mm. Prove to them just through the results that mm. things are working, they're yeah. trending in the right direction. And most athletes are open to it. They don't want to waste their time doing crazy stuff either if they truly believe that they don't have to. And you reassuring them that they don't is a big part of the process. Cool. Um, that's it for today. We will end it there. Uh, if you guys have any questions, reach out to us. This is a conversation that gets thrown around a lot in the strength conditioning world, the rehab world, and you know it's more nuanced than is often presented. So hopefully you guys got something from this. Uh, reach out to us with questions otherwise, Hope you guys are all doing well. Thanks for listening. Thank you for listening to the Training Room Talk podcast. We hope today's discussion was helpful in illuminating some of the complexities behind pain and rehab. If you don't know where to go from here, please reach out to us with questions. We have mentorship options for clinicians and students and programming options for you to elevate your own fitness. We look forward to speaking with you. And again, hope you enjoyed today's discussion.